Well, this morning we're going to do something a little different. The reason that I am sitting here is that Pastor uh, Harvey Drake and I are actually just going to have a conversation today, a pretty unscripted conversation, which for a Presbyterian is terrifying. But uh, (laughs) Pastor Harvey here assures me that it will be okay because the Holy Spirit is with us. Uh, It has been a very difficult week, as you know. Uh, Racial tension, uh, protests that were then hijacked by criminals and looting and destruction, which is, makes everything worse, um, and felt like today was not really a day for a sermon, hmm. but was really more a day that where Pastor Harvey and I could have a conversation. We've known each other. Pastor Harvey and I have known each other for 17 years. This church has been a friend to Pastor Harvey and vice versa. That's right. So we are going to have a conversation that points to Jesus, because we believe very strongly that the only solution to all the divisions in our culture, uh, particularly the racial divisions, comes from Jesus. And I want to start with a passage of scripture. Uh, Many of you have heard this a lot before, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 2, where the apostle Paul, speaking to Jews and Gentiles who had hated each other for centuries, centuries centuries of, of just conflict and division, says to Jews and Gentiles, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. He is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it." Jesus is the one who can bring us together. Jesus is the one who can bring true justice and reconciliation. And so we, pa- Pastor Harvey and I just want to kind of have a conversation about that. And um, Harvey, uh, if you could just start, and you've, we've talked uh, the last couple of weeks, and this, this has been a really hard couple of weeks for you uh, personally, for people of color. Um, could you just talk a little bit about how it's affected you personally? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. Uh, As we talked, I described to you what was going on in my own life as a pastor, as a minister, as one who serves. uh, It was a tough, tough week. Mm -hmm. Past couple weeks have been really tough. In fact, uh, it was so tough, man. I've been crying literally often on all week. And the, the, the strongest cry I had was when I was meeting with my staff. We were talking through this, and I just broke down, and I cried so hard. You know that kind of cry you have when you can't breathe through your nose? <laughs> you can only breathe through your mouth. And the reason I cried, I was crying, number one, I think, for Ahmed Arbery, for Breonna Taylor, for George Floyd. I was crying because of the brokenness that we saw. Like you said, the peaceful protests were hijacked. But I also began to think about the church and where we are and and all of this and how silent we've been. And I was just, I was just broken because I said, God, we are not living into your vision mm-hmm. at all. And we're not leading your vision at all. Mm-hmm. And I was just broken. And, and you can hear the tears of my other staff as well. And it was just a tough, tough, tough time. But it, in, it increased my resolve to do whatever I can to help the body of Christ realize that God, I think in this moment is offering a clarion call to us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to step into this so that 
this thing can be seen and it can be changed in a very authentic and dramatic way. Yeah, I think, um, I, I agree with you. I think this is, this is our moment. Um, yes. The church has always been uh, on the forefront of any progress in racial uh, justice and ra- racial reconciliation. The church has always been on the forefront. Uh, and, and you and I agree that Jesus is the only answer. You said it very That's well right. many times. It's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Absolutely. Can I talk a little bit from your experience? How did we get here? Like, yeah. what are some of the things you've observed just in your lifetime? Sure. Yeah. Well, let, let me start by giving you this illustration. In 1986, I was encouraged to go to Mendenhall, Mississippi to observe a ministry because someone, actually someone wanted me to be on their worship staff to lead their worship ministry in a church in Bellevue. And I said, no, I'm called to Seattle. I said, well, have you ever thought about doing this ministry similar to John Perkins? I said, no, it's a rural ministry. This is an urban context. They said, go. So we went. While we were there, we discovered in 1986 that black women were not allowed to go to the Bible study at the white church that was publicly uh, ad- advertised. 1986. 1986. It just blew me away. In 2013, my wife and I went to New York uh, together. We had never been there together on vacation in, in the middle of Times Square. Uh, it was a Saturday shoulder to shoulder people. It was crazy. That particular day, George Zimmerman was acquitted for the murder of Trayvon Martin. A thousand member uh, march came down the street, stopped everything. You could not move. You could hardly breathe. Uh, That was a Saturday. The next day, Sunday, we went to a very well-known church all across this nation, probably the world, and not one word was spoken in that church. No lament, no cry, no prayer for Trayvon, no prayer for George Zimmerman, no prayer for our nation, nothing. And I was just, I was stunned by that. I thought, how can this be? And the church was a third, at least a third African-American. Mm-hmm. It was led by a guy who happened to be Caucasian, mm-hmm. right? Hispanics in the church, Asians in the church, absolutely nothing. And I thought, this is why we still have the problem. Because we're not talking about it. The church is not talking about it, right? And setting it in a biblical context. That's exactly And saying, right. the answer here is Jesus. The reconciliation comes through him. I'm pretty sure, Harvey, I didn't say anything that day, too. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'm sure a lot of people didn't say. Now, some people, you know, give them credit. They, they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. But I would rather err on the side of saying something than nothing at all. Because mm-hmm. I can always go back and apologize if I say something, mm-hmm. you know, like a dunce. <laughs> and I often do. In my church, they'll tell you, there are times I've come back the next Sunday and said, whoops, I think I said this and I should not have, right? <laughs> In your church, they tell you while you're preaching, right? <laughs> Well. <laughs> Here they just send emails. They, they, they certainly do. But, but I think we, we have this history where we supported, the church theologically supported a lot of heinous things and our silence encouraged that support, right? So you think about how even slavery was supported by the church, mm-hmm. right? You think about the Jim Crow law supported by the church, right? Theologically, we gave them a framework. There are some of us who could not go to your average theological institution because they did not allow black people in. Yeah. So there are a lot of Bible institutes that popped up to try and help African-Americans and others get some kind of biblical training because until the mid-80s, they didn't want you there. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it was sanctioned 
by the church. And I think this is how we've gotten there. We have been too quiet. We have got to start speaking to things that are out of alignment with what God wants. Mm -hmm. And bring healing and reconciliation. And bring healing and reconciliation, which means, by the way, that I think one of the gifts that the black community and other communities of color have is that we have this incredible ability to forgive. Now, some can be pretty hard and pretty calloused and pretty bitter, but by and large, we're forgiving. Look at what happened to those nine people that were killed by Dylan Root. He sat in a Bible study for an entire hour, killed those people, and the families had the nerve to get on camera and say, we forgive you. We forgive you. Lord have mercy. But And that's needed. Mm -hmm. That's a needed element if we're going to see the healing that needs to take place based on Jesus' desire. And I think that's important. You and I have talked about this. You know, this is often um, framed as people of color versus police. Right. And I think that you and I both don't find that to be very helpful because it's not going to bring reconciliation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, let's let's face it. Uh, For some reason, there's been this little animosity between the two communities. A lot of us don't trust uh, the police. Now, now we don't say all police are evil. Mm-hmm. I will never, ever go on record mm-hmm. as saying that. There are bad apples in every institution mm-hmm. that exists. And when we have bad apples, we need to address those bad apples. There needs to be some accountability. Up to this point, we feel like there hadn't been very much. And as, as, as it has been said many times, we have to tell our sons and daughters to be very careful when they have encounters with police. Why? Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, there seems to be this interesting dynamic that takes place. And we want to see that change. And it will change when we have uh, accountability. What was so powerful about George Floyd's incident is that the whole world saw it. Mm-hmm. And, they, and I believe the whole world gasped. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I can't believe this. And this could be a galvanizing moment for all of us because we can see what happens when a bad apple mm-hmm. is in action. And this is the first time that we can tell where somebody was actually fired immediately without pay mm-hmm. and arrested eventually and charged. Mm-hmm. And that's going to help because then people will feel like, well, maybe I can be safe mm-hmm. because when there is an unfortunate situation that takes place, that perhaps there will be someone yeah. held accountable. And I think if we can have healthy conversations between communities. And I know you've been part of this and I know the Seattle police chief reached out to you. That's correct. Because I think there's also ways, how can we train, equip and support cops so that they're not getting into situations they don't know how to handle and all of that. That's exactly right. Because I think people of color are having a whole lot of experiences that people like me are not having. And so I think people with, with, who are white, sure. I, I'm not experiencing a whole lot of stuff. Um, what are, that you are, and that people of color are, and it's taken me a long time to realize that just because I'm not experiencing them doesn't mean that y'all aren't experiencing That's true. them. And I know you've had some of, what are some of those things that, that kind of happen on a daily, or not maybe not daily, but mm-hmm. a, you know, it happens more than it should that, 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 that you might experience that I don't because you're a person of color. Well, well, let, let me tell you what happened to my son. We're trying to teach him to drive. My wife picks him up from school. He's got a couple friends in the car. So he's in training. So she allows him to drive home. She sits in the back seat. She's only five, one and a half. So she's kind of low. You can't see her in the back seat. He gets literally to the top of the hill, one, one turn from our house. And he stopped by the police. Mm. And they didn't realize that my wife was in the car. And so when my wife set up, she said, he said, what's going on? I said, oh, 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 they just reported that there was a van stolen. And so we're just checking things out. Well, we were in a Ford Taurus. Uh, 
didn't look like a van. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the only thing my wife did wrong was she didn't get his badge number. Mm -hmm. Because I'm thinking, why did you stop these two young guys? They are not in a van. Mm -hmm. They're in a Ford. You know what I mean? And so little things like that happen. Then you have all the subtle things that happen where people compliment you on how well you speak. Mm -hmm. As though that's an odd thing. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. You've been watching Oprah for how long? (laughs) You know, she's very articulate, you know what I mean? And very (laughs) loquacious. And it's just this this weird thing that that we encounter. And I'm hoping that this moment will shift those things. I think part of it is learning to have conversations. I think one of the things that has changed for me over the last five years has been just to start to listen to people of color that are having those experiences. And there were so many of them that after a while, you just a thinking person goes, there's too many of these to, <laughs> yeah. you know, to explain away. And I've shared uh, some of those in sermons before. You know, my parents' church, there was a, a black man who worked in a restaurant and the restaurant was robbed and police came and they did a thorough investigation and found zero evidence pointing to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, no evidence at all. And they fired the black man. Fired the black man. And, you know, or, or black people in this congregation being asked for ID if they're writing a check when the white people in line were not asked for. I think it still happens. Sure. I don't know that it happens every day. No, no. But it, I think it, you know, it, it only takes a couple of times That's before right. you start That's right. to feel right. like you're not a full member of the, sure. of the community. And what frustrates the average person is that if they did not do it themselves. Yes, then they don't want to be held accountable for yeah. that. But we still we fail to realize that there's still these things in our system, whether we do them intentionally or not, that we're guilty of. There are times when I have to apologize as a black person to a white person yeah. because there are some knuckleheads that will do something to a white person that should not be done. Yeah. And even though I did not do it personally, I still feel some onus for that. And I have to apologize. When I was uh, in junior high school, uh, I should say I was in junior high school when the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King... Can I say that again? Yeah. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. See, that's why we just like to need to go by first names from now on. <laughs> when he was assassinated, we were infuriated when they came across the news. The next day we went to school and I don't ever remember bothering the girls, but we were mean to the boys. Mm. We kicked them, we spat on them, we pushed them downstairs, we socked them, we punched them. We said, this is for what your friend did to my friend. Mm. And it was just this horrible, horrible thing. Now, I should say that was in my BC days before Christ, mm. right? But what was happening is, is in that moment, I was doing wrong to those people. Now, the whole bunch of people didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And they could say, well, that's not my problem. I didn't do it. But after I came to Christ and started encountering Jesus in the scripture, it changed the way I viewed people. And I realized in, the, in that moment, and I have, I have literally repented for this over and over again. God forgive me because I was not seeing those young boys and those boys and as people created in the image of God. And when we fail to see each other the way God sees us, guess what? Mm-hmm. It becomes easier to mistreat people. Mm-hmm. It becomes easier just to say, oh, well, th- they'll take care of that. No, at some point, we have to realize while we may not be personally responsible, there is some responsibility. And let me give another illustration out of the scripture. Nehemiah in chapter one, when he heard about the walls being broken out, his, you know, his friends, cousins, whoever, his homies, you know, came to see him and say, how things that, oh, they're horrible. The gates have been burned. The walls are broken down. We're ashamed. We're insecure. There's no safety. He did not call the session. He did not call a strategy meeting. He went to prayer and the Bible describes him going to a season of prayer about three months where he fasted, where he mourned, where he cried and he confessed. And one of the most powerful phrases that he said, my fathers and I 
mm-hmm. have sinned. Mm-hmm. He was not even there. Yep. Yeah. Yet he felt the responsibility of the community. And that's one of the gifts that if we allow ourselves to have, we can have. We do it because we feel that we know it's happening even though we're not personally even we didn't responsible. Do it. And Psalm 78 is a confession of past sins of, right. of the Israelites. The whole Psalm is. Exactly right. So what are some things, where's the hope? Like, where's the what, hope? What, what, there's gotta be hope because <laughs> Jesus brings hope. That's right. And what, what can peop, the people of God do? Well, I wanna start with encouraging us to reread the Bible, but a little slower mm-hmm. so we can actually see what the Bible says and then make a, a new commitment to actually do it. The thing I love about my friends in Africa and other parts of the world, they don't argue with the scripture. We Americans in the Western church love to argue, well, what's the context? And did he really mean that? And that's not practical and it's different now. That They don't argue and they see powerful things happen. I want us to come to a place where if the, if the word of God says it, do it, mm-hmm. right? And so we read the scripture and then from there we have to ask God, how, what changes do we need to make personally to, to see this thing changed? I'm talking about radical transformation, not just activity. Mm-hmm. One of the things that flusters me about our, our government is that they pride themselves on what, the activity, but, but where, where's the change? And we'll talk about the education system in a minute because that's where we really need to see some change. I'm talking to the superintendent, trying to support, trying to ask how we can help, only to discover that even today, 34, only 34% of the black students in Seattle schools read at grade level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do to change that? Mm-hmm. What is in the system that's causing them to be so off, right? Some of it may be the family. Some of it may not be. Whatever it is, we need to get after it and make sure it is corrected. And that's one of the things that we can do mm-hmm. as people, right? We need to be build bridge builders. Mm-hmm. We need to establish relationships. We need to be be talking to each other and hearing each other, right? But, but then there are some practical things that we can do. We know what's out there. We know unemployment. We know about you know, homelessness. We know about affordability. Those things exist. And if, we can, if we're in positions, and some of you are, where you can actually instigate some kind of change because of the authority and the influence that you have, we need to start doing those things mm-hmm. so, that, mm-hmm. so that the church is leading this change. And, it, and you're right. The hope is in Christ. We've got to start seeing each other the way God sees us. We have to start accepting that there are differences between us. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need you to be like me, and I hope you don't want me to be like you. Because when we put all of us together, we get a, a clear picture of the enormity of God. He is a God of creativity, right? The worst thing we can do when we talk about reconciliation is trying to make everybody one. One of whom? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, we accept that there are differences and see them as a cause for celebration, not a reason for separation. Yeah. Right. And then how do we how, come on? Let's have some parties together, man. Yeah, get, you know, where's John Kim? John Kim, I need some barbecue, baby, some brisket <laughs> and some ribs because I know you get down on that. And I think you bake pies, right? I bake pies. I, I'm waiting to have some pie, brother, <laughs> because we need to start establishing more relationships. And we, like you said earlier, we need to hear each other. Mm-hmm. Right. I used to think that all w- white people were wealthy. Mm-hmm. Until I started engaging with some and realized, oh, you were broke and poor too? I didn't know nothing about who, who, who are the Ozarks and who are the Appalachians, yeah. you know? I didn't know any of that until I started engaging. Yeah. And when we start having, establishing mutually respectful mm-hmm. relationships, I think incredible things can happen. 
I think so too. I think for me, you know, up until about five or six years ago, I wouldn't touch this in the pulpit um, and got emails about not touching sure, it in the pulpit. Sure. Um, but I think what changed was two things. It was, G- I believe it was Jesus working in my heart. Yeah. And I started looking at the scripture yeah. and just saw it everywhere. You know, Pentecost, the That's first right. church is multi-ethnic. Right. Why is the passage I just read? I mean, there's not a, there's, there's yeah. hardly any book in the New Testament that doesn't talk about right. bringing together people who've hated each other for centuries. Exactly. Right. And I think that was the Holy Spirit just helping me see things differently. Mm. But the second thing was having conversations with people like you and Reggie Witherspoon and Sergio and our staff and others, uh, even my own wife, mm. you know, uh, been married to her. She, she's Chinese, having, realizing she's having different experiences. That's right. And so it was really Jesus and relationship that I think started to change me a little bit on this. And I think that's something the church, we have Jesus and we can do relationship. That's right. Um, and, and that doesn't mean by the way, um, you know, go find a person of color that you don't know that well and start pummeling them with questions. There are resources to start with for for those of us who are white. I'll give those at the end. Yes. Um, but where there's a a strong relationship like with you and me, then those conversations can happen. Absolutely. And I also think with the education piece, closing the achievement gap is huge and the church can do that. We, this church is trying with Eastside Academy and Jubilee Reach and Kid Reach. Um, there are things that we can do there as well. And you and I have talked about also just spiritual resources and, and disciplines. Um, humility is huge in this. I've heard you say that a lot. Absolutely. Right. We have to approach this with a humble spirit. Absolutely. Um, because if we're yelling at each other, oh my goodness, I'm right, you're wrong, we don't get anywhere. And that's what we continue to do, yep. Pastor, right? Yep. I mean, I, I want to point the finger at you as a white man. You're guilty of most things that are wrong in the world. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth is, they're guilty of some things, but not everything, yeah. right? Yeah. But how, how would I feel if somebody was constantly accusing me? Yeah. I would back away. I would not want to engage. At the same time, if I'm, if I'm talking about something that's absolutely truth and factual and people continue to, to deny it, mm-hmm. then I'm going to remain angry. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have this cycle that goes, yeah. right? Yeah. I accuse, you deny, I get angry. Yep. I accuse, you deny, I get angry. Yep. Then you get angry and you accuse and then you walk away and we never get anywhere. God help us. Yeah. Yeah to change our wicked ways so we can come together, lay down our swords, right? So that we can be at peace with one another. And forgiveness has got to be a major part of this thing as well. I, as a black person, Hispanic people, Asian people, people of color need to be able to, okay, we can't carry this forever. Every conversation can't be a reminder of everything that went wrong forever. At some point, we let it go. We don't forget it, but we, we don't make it the primary core of what we talk about when we come together. But let's, let's, let's walk in humility. Even if, if you have the truth, it is always going to be rejected if it's not given in humility. Yeah. And I think that cycle of, you know, uh, accusation denial, right? I deny, you don't feel heard. That's right. You make the accusation stronger. I That's deny right. stronger and we get further and further apart. Further and, further apart. and I think the confession yes. and repentance yes. and forgiveness yes. are our biblical tools. And so, right. yeah, I didn't, I didn't own slaves, all of that. Sure. But I've been blind and I've right. in my own ways contributed, yeah. Yeah. even if, even through just my silence and I can confess, and then you can forgive me mm-hmm. and say, love you brother. And, sure. 
that brings us closer together rather than accuse, That's deny, right. accuse, right. deny. Let, let me show, show you one thing here. So when we talk about privilege, nobody wants to talk about white privilege. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <gasps> Are you serious? Okay, but think about this. Uh, because most people want to, uh, want to tie privilege to economics only. Yeah. Right? But what about access? What about options? What about education? What about business? What about all these other all these other connections, right? Uh, because if we lose everything right now because of our connections, we can probably regain some of what we lost, right? So we've got to broaden our understanding of what privilege is connected to and tied to. And I think that may help us. And we won't be so offended when people say, but you are people of privilege, mm-hmm. right? I was in South Africa the first time. We, we Our host set us up in a, in a, I think it was a youth hostel. It was not a good environment for our team. And so we asked them to move us. And so they found a hotel that was embedded in the shopping center. They, they called and they said they had rooms. Mm-hmm. When we got there, it wasn't 30 minutes later, we packed up, we got there. Our African friend walked to the front desk. Guess what? The rooms are gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We backed out and we sent our white counterpart in. Guess what? The rooms suddenly appeared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went, and, and we had to keep the Americans down because they wanted to pitch a fit because, you know, we're right about everything. Yeah. But what we learned is that there are people who have privilege. And when you have privilege, don't deny it. Understand how best how to use it. Yeah, use it for good. And in that situation, they got us <laughs> into our rooms. And when they said the rooms are there, we all walked up. <laughs> it was hilarious to kind of watch their faces, right? Because they realized they had been caught knee deep yeah. in Apollo dung. And we, and we just went on and, and enjoyed the balance of our trip. Be, and so let's understand better what we mean when we talk about privilege and white privilege. Let's face it, yeah. right? We, some of us do have access to more than others. And how do we use it for good? How do we use it and, for good? And, and we can. Um, we have just a few minutes left. Uh, what else would you want to say to us at Bell Press? <laughs> what would I say to Bell Press? What would I say to, what would I say to me? Mm-hmm. What would you say to you? I, I think I want all of us to realize, I think this is an Esther moment, mm-hmm. that we are in place for such a time as this. I think it's also a time for the church to kind of lead. I don't think the world can do this. I do not. Right? They, they don't have the power, mm-hmm. nor do they have the will. Now, the church has Jesus. We have the Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have each other. Mm-hmm. So we have the, the, the mechanisms and elements. The question is, do we have the will? To, to break from the status quo so that we can lead this change. Yeah. We have got to talk to each other. We have got to talk to our families. We have got to talk to our children. We have got to talk to our bosses. We have, everybody we're in, in contact with, we've got, to, we've got to start saying, and we don't have to be mean, harsh, brash, or ugly. Mm-hmm. But we've got to be clear. We've got to be direct. And so I would say to the church, this is our season. I think this could be catalytic moment to see this nation change, if not the world. Um, and I think if the church leads it, we might also see revival. I because think it will lead to that. all those things about humility and gentleness and repentance and confession and yes. forgiveness and all the stuff we've just talked about, those are the resources the church has That's that right. Christ gives us. Let, let me make one other point. I want, to, I want the church to stop seeing this stuff as political. Yes. This is a spiritual issue. Right, the fact that we can't get along, we're violating God's rule. God created us all in his image and his likeness. There is no, no clause anywhere in the Greek, 
the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the Ugaritic, the Akkadian, nowhere that says the white man is better than the Chinese woman or the Polish woman is better than the African man. It is not there. And so therefore, when we, when we mistreat each other, we are violating a spiritual law. And we've too long tried to address spiritual issues through social means, and it has not worked. So I'm saying to the church, let's start seeing things through God's eyes. God, Romans, I think it's, no, it's, it's Psalms 89, 14, and Psalms 97, 2. Both says that the foundation of God's throne is righteousness mm-hmm. and justice. Let's start living into God's sense of what is right, God's sense of what is just. Amen. Thank you, Harvey. Appreciate it. We're going to have communion now, and I just realized that I didn't tell you at the beginning to go get bread and juice. <laughs> That's what happens when a Presbyterian doesn't have a script. Um, <laughs> but we can participate, either run to the kitchen right now, or just participate in prayer, because I think it's when we come to this table, Yes. and, and Pastor Harvey and I are going to serve communion together. Um, when we come to this table... I think we see the resources that we have. That's right. I think we see in here Jesus' body broken for us, Mm. died for us to forgive us of our sins. Yes. And Harvey, the one thing, there are many things we have in common, but one, the most important thing is you you and I stand as children of God, redeemed in Jesus Christ, equally in need of his grace and forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Mm. And when we start there, Mm-hmm. Not in politics, That's right. not in arguing, but I think when we start here at this table, mm-hmm. communion ha- say, shares the same root word as community. That's right. And so I think when we come to this table, we are reminded, as you say so eloquently, this is a sin problem. It's not a skin problem. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a political thing. Right. And this, this, this is where we're reminded of the spiritual power we have. That's right. Because on the very night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed, and about to be been denied by his friends, he sat at table with them anyway and forgave them and broke down the dividing wall of hostility. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So wherever you are, whether you have actual bread or not, eat in remembrance of him. And we're thankful for the blood. Mm-hmm. This cup represents his blood, which was shed for us. And the Bible declares that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or removal of sin. In the old, in the old covenant, um, the blood covered sin. It didn't remove sin. But Jesus' blood has removed our sin, which is why we can walk in freedom, which is why we can love each other, which is why we can grow and improve and do better. Amen. Amen. And so in the same manner, he took the cup when he was with those disciples and he said, this cup represents my blood and a new covenant. As often as you drink this, you do it in remembrance of me. Whatever you have, let's drink together. And in our, in our church, we, we usually hold the cup up as a symbol of uh, freedom that we have in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.